Welcome to the BioCharisma Podcast. I'm your host, Christopher Gardner. Today we have Aircrete Harry, my man, that saved me in the whole journey towards Aircrete perfection. Um, Aircrete is a medium of construction that um, I have been working with for about 13 years. And eight of those years were kind of fruitless <laughs> because as you'll hear in the interview, um, the people that turned me on to it, the products that they supplied didn't really work in the beginning. But Aircrete Harry um, actually came in there and saved the day. He's a wonderful experimenter. Um, if you get anything from our conversation, get the fact that experimentation, if you diligently just apply a little bit of energy, you will absolutely get results one way or another. And um, Aircrete Harry has been a wonderful help. Uh, go to his YouTube page, which is Aircrete Harry. And he also has a website, aircreteharry.com. I buy all of my Aircrete products uh, uh, through Aircrete Harry. That's the way I support him. And um, yeah, the wifey and I are going to be building a dome here soon. So that's really exciting. And we're going to be using some of the techniques that he shares through his uh, YouTube page. So um, enjoy the podcast and also check out his podcast, which is on uh, YouTube. he This is going to be a swap cast. He interviewed me and I interviewed him at the same time. And because uh, we're both kind of uh, fringy type builders. And uh, I think you'll really enjoy it. I think it's recording. Yes. <laughs> Aircrete Harry, welcome to the BioCharisma podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm doing awesome. Uh, we just figured it out that we're doing a swap cast. Harry, what's the name of your show that's on YouTube? It's uh, Aircrete Harry. It's just Aircrete Harry and your series of, of uh, unique builders. Does that have Does that have any specific name to it? Uh, no, it's just um, last talk building. And um, yeah, so we've just been discussing different building systems. Awesome. Awesome. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah, we were just before before I hit record, we were talking about uh, my current plans at my Missouri farm. And this would be good for people to hear. So when we were looking for property, we found a property that was ideal for permaculture. It had a lake to the east, to the southeast of the property. That was like 44 acre lake. The land wasn't too big and it has a gentle slope um, going from west to east down to the lake. So I have about a 20 foot drop from the top of my property down towards the lake. Okay. And it has two, well, it has one year round spring that's been tapped that the well is on. 
And then there's another, I found another spring head on it. And so it has incredible water here. That was the main thing. And then the lake is fed by three springs. And so just within five minutes of walking the land, I didn't even care about the house. (laughs) I was like, I'm a builder. I'm going to, I'm going to do whatever I want to the house. Uh, You know, the house is secondary. Which state are you in? Missouri. Okay. Yeah. And so the leverage, I actually used how crappy the house was as leverage to like drop the price. That's a good technique. (laughs) Yeah. Because I, you know, I could talk to the building inspector and like go through the thing and just be like hammering them. And I'm pretty sure the land was so great. We were lucky because the, um, I don't think the realtor really knew what they were doing because they didn't list that it had its own pond. They didn't list that it had its own artesian spring. It didn't like really, uh, none of the pictures accentuated the beauty of the land, right? They just took pictures of the crappy parts of the house. So I was like, <laughs> it was perfect. We were able to come come in here and uh, we're a year into our project and we just got the RV on the property. And so as we do our demolition, You'll like this because you're you're a permaculture guy. Like you stack functions like better than most people. While we rip out the old wooden stuff, we're gonna convert it to biochar. <laughs> oh, nice! <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna video the whole process and uh, and and make make something out of it. But uh, I'm really excited to get started with that. You know, speaking of biochar, I remember seeing in um. Like in uh, the Middle East somewhere, there were refrigerators made, Mm -hmm. cooling rooms made with biochar walls. So they basically just made a netting, filled it with biochar, and all the six, uh, all the five surfaces were covered in about two inches of biochar. So they were biochar walls. And so just by having these walls made like that with charcoal, right, basically, the temperature was cooler in there and and it also was drier in that space as well yeah so I thought that was really interesting that they were able to make a cooling system using biochar yeah there's something with the amount of surface area that's on pyrolyzed carbon uh when it negatively ionizes whatever it touches so that's the difference between like regular charcoal and biochar is the charge of uh okay. Yeah. And so the biochar is diamagnetically the highest thing that's in nature. Like the next closest element to it is bismuth. And biochar is three times more diamagnetic than bismuth is. That's why they they use like biochar. They call it like nanocarbon or graphene. They'll use that in all these like supercomputers and things like that. Right. Because there's zero latency within when you send a charge through it because of the negative ionization. As- well, it's not just because, but the negative ionization aspect helps it. But I could imagine if you had a room that had all that surface area, it's the same thing like when you're making an oven. Like the more surface area that you have in the oven, it creates a much different type of baking environment. It's probably so for in a cooling environment too. Yeah, right. the, the more surface area you have, it would actually create a cooling effect, 
was that in Iran? Like, do you know? Do you remember what? Yeah, it's one of those Middle Eastern countries. I, I yeah. wasn't sure exactly, but yeah, I, I found that to be very intriguing. That something like that could be done. It's so cool. My uh, my first dome teacher, Nadir Klili, he showed us at Cal Earth. He's the one who uh, who uh, created the Super Adobe Dome system. Um, in one of his books, I forget which book of his. Uh, they talked about in Iran, they had these ways of creating caves and like air inserts during certain time of the year where the temperature would drop in the cave and they would create these massive ice caves. And that's how they could have ice in the desert. Oh, nice. Yeah. That's really interesting to be able to create ice in a desert. That's yeah. That's a nice talent. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, they use they use the principle of temperature differential. And so like with temperature differential, you'll actually get a convection current. And if you can have that convection current fluted a certain way, it will get cold. The It will be a cold convection current. And cold, when it concentrates around anything that's humid, guess what you get? You get ice. Hmm. Nice. Yeah, it's really cool. Yeah, that's excellent. So I, w- I want to uh, get back to what you mentioned at the beginning. You were talking about your property and when you found your property. Mm-hmm. Now, I think that's probably the, one of the most important things is property research. I was yes. just talking to someone recently who's about to look for a property. And um, some of the tips I gave were to inquire with uh Uh, connecting neighbors about the land, about the water table. Uh, Although a property might look beautiful, nice and dry, it could be in an area that floods. Mm -hmm. And so you don't want to have to deal with these things. When I personally came out here to look for property, I was looking for the least expensive I can get, you know, the biggest bang for my buck, basically. And um, it was really easy looking at properties like on Zillow. and, And I'm like, oh, this property and that property. So I probably had about 12 or 15 properties um, picked out that I wanted to visit. And it was amazing how when I got out to those properties, I realized why the cost was so low. And it was because <laughs> they put me on slanted hills, yeah. you know, steep hills. And I was like, okay, clearly, you know, you're not building there uh, without a lot of hassle. So that that was a big learning lesson for me. And exploring and picking out properties now what i really didn't consider when i picked the property where i I am now is the soil i didn't have uh much experience with soil with growing i didn't have a green thumb at all right i I knew stuff but i never had actual hands-on experience growing things Mm -hmm. and so what i realized later was my soil is just dust it was rock dust it wasn't anything that's going to grow because I purchased a whole bunch of fruit trees and they're still in the pots. And this was my learning lesson this year during the summer was, or starting from spring, was I was dealing with the soil and not really figuring out exact type of soil that I needed for growing the trees. And so uh, I learned that the soil I had here was basically rock dust, clay. And, um, I ended up buying a topsoil that's a fertilizer from a local nursery, but I didn't get a lot of good information. 
And it turns out that topsoil was the exact same soil as mine, only it had some fertilizer mixed into it. Oh, terrible. So that didn't work. And then I realized that they had compost that they sold. And by this time, I had already transplanted my trees like twice. And so I went, I got the compost. And also before buying the compost, because my trees started withering away, I add, I started uh, adding a fertilizer. I bought a drip system and that started bringing them to life. But mm-hmm. not until I uh, changed the soil again to that compost that they really start to flourish. Mm-hmm. But um, that was a major learning lesson for me. And so what I've learned here is when I'm ready to do my greenhouse and my intent on this property has always been to do a greenhouse because the weather is just too erratic here. You know, like it, it could be uh, September like it was last year and it was snowing. Meanwhile, the day before was like 90 degrees. Mm. So the temperature fluctuations and the weather is is nuts. So in my mind, I thought the only way to really grow and invest time and money, you know, and my time in growing anything would be to do it in a greenhouse because I can't trust the weather, you know, just destroying. Everything could be growing beautifully and then one day, you know, we have, we have a freeze and a hailstorm, and then everything's destroyed. But uh, I just wanted to say for people out there looking to find a piece of property and, and build, you know, like we're doing, we're off grid, um, really consider what you want to do. If you're looking to do a garden, you want to do permaculture, you want to be growing in the soil, you got to really research that and, and, and visit the areas. Because although where I am, uh, it's not great you know, about a thousand feet uh, lower in altitude, there's much better soil around. So consider those things because I've always wanted to grow my own food because I don't trust what's being sold at the supermarkets Mm -hmm. with all the GMOs. And, you know, now I hear they're doing mRNA shots. They want to do it into vegetables as well as animals. So it's it's really nuts what's going on out there. But uh, yeah, Uh, searching and researching uh, properties is is a incredible thing to do and to be aware of uh, the um, different elevations looking on maps at the elevations is a big key also to save you a lot of time because you could look at an elevation map and see you know I didn't notice when I first started searching I was just looking at properties at pictures and you know it's hard to tell from a picture that the property is like this <laughs> right right yeah, I uh do you know who Curtis Stone is? The uh urban permaculture guy? Uh I think I've seen his work before. Yeah. The name sounds familiar. He uh we did a series uh about seven months ago. He roasted my survey of this property. <laughs> oh, okay. Using his system. And so I've been I've been a professional builder since two thousand eight. So I've had to like go on site to very raw land and make an assessment whether or not that land was suitable for whatever structure we were deciding on. So I I tell my clients all the time, if they're buying raw land, wait to design your structure until you've actually been on your land for about six months. Because after about six months, if you can wait longer, you can see how the sun tracks across your land. You can see like what the flora and the fauna are doing. 
you can get a good feel of what would actually fit the land. I've gone into blows with certain clients where they want to put like some crazy structure on an inappropriate part of the property. And I'm like, no, 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 that doesn't, uh-uh. And you and I are both into domes and, and we're into shapes that actually could fit contours of land really well. And um, I really try and coach my clients up on that. And then in the design process, once we know where on the property a building is going to go, then I'm very big into applying Vastu and Feng Shui to the structure itself. Yeah. Because especially if you have a, a structure that is curvilinear, you know, that's all about flow. You have all that really good energy moving and you want that to fit your property correctly. You want to be fitting yourself in that properly. There, There's just a ton of considerations when doing that. Yeah, I agree 100%. And, and that was one of the lessons that I learned because where I am now, this is my third property. My first property was in Fort Collins and that was on a, on a pretty steep slope. It dropped down 10 feet. Every 20 feet out, it would drop 10. Oof. So it was pretty steep. Uh, we were able to level out an area to build, mm -hmm. um, but the cost to build there, what I was designing, which was three 40-foot domes, you know, one after the other going down the hill, connected by a hallway tunnel, was going to be expensive because of all the drilling that would have had to been done to put the columns, you know. Mm -hmm. And so <clears throat> we decided, my wife and I decided, let's go somewhere else. So while we were preparing to move to Fort Collins and build there, um, we were going through a lot of uh, wasteful spending in New York City because mm -hmm. we had storages keeping all our furniture and clothing and all the things we have from our apartment that we were ready to move. So I decided to save money. It was cheaper for me to buy another property in Colorado and buy shipping containers and place them there and move all my stuff into a shipping container on another property that I was going to use as storage. Then to continue paying the sh the uh, uh, rentals we were paying, you know, it was. I ended up spending like twelve thousand dollars in one year on storage. Wild. So it was insane. So clearly, for twelve thousand, I was able to buy six and a half acre lot uh, and three shipping containers for less than that. Mm -hmm. And so I said, "All right, that's what I did." And so once we decided we weren't going to uh, move to Fort Collins and build. I had, came up with a design for the second property I bought, and that was in South Park, uh, Colorado. So it was very open plains, beautiful views, the mountains all around. Mm -hmm. it, it looked amazing. One downfall was it was 8,000 feet altitude. Ooh. So any exertion was exhausting. You know, you, you just, if I just did a short sprint, I was like, there was no oxygen. Mm -hmm. So... And then uh, my wife really wanted more trees. She didn't like that there were no trees around. So then we came to this side of town, to this side of Colorado, uh, the last city before New Mexico. And it works out great because the weather here is so much better than northern Colorado. Like when you hear about snow, everyone thinks Colorado and serious snowstorms. So people are always asking me, oh, are you snowed in or anything? 
And I'm like, no, it's it's good here. We got nice weather. But um, yeah, so anyway, so this being my third property, um, it worked out that we have the trees here. The the property was just beautiful. I saw so much trees here. I just assumed I could grow pretty much anything I wanted, but <laughs> it was a hard lesson. No, yeah. it was a hard lesson. Yeah, what type of trees? Are there a lot of cypress there? Yeah, cypress, cedar, pine, ju juniper. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's like the first thing that we've been doing. I've taken out on this property, I've probably taken out about 100 trees already. And most of them are the juniper because like I did some work in central Texas and I was um, educated on how the juniper, that type of cedar, I forget how many hundreds of gallons of water each one of them take, but they change the water table mm. wherever they are. They cause right. the water table to drop <laughs> because they're so they're so voracious with water. And so um, from a permaculture perspective, also they do something specifically here in Missouri with the birds, like it messes with the bird, like the, the native, not just native, but this area has tons, like the Mississippi has tons of birds that go north and south. Right. And so they find that um, the, there's something with those types of cedars that mess with the, with the birds. And so I love the wood. And so I have no problem taking them out and um, using the wood, not only for like firewood and biochar, which by the way, man, we should get you a, a rocket retort so you can like start sprucing up your soil. Cause like I'm the biochar dude <laughs> mm -hmm. and um, if you, biochar would, would it's the quickest turnaround for soil that's possible because you instantly have stable carbon. Right. So what type of clay do you have? Is it like a bauxite clay? Is it a calcium bentonite clay? Do you know? No, I'm not sure what type of clay would be. What color is it? It's a uh, tan reddish. So it's between a bauxite and a, and a bentonite. So like the more red it is, it's more of a aluminum silicate. And the more whitish yellow it gets, the more calcium that's in it. So right. if you and so um, if it's more that if it's more on the calcium side, it's going to be very basic either way, whether it's basic or acidic, when you add lots of carbon to that, man, it, it completely changes because it allows the mycelium to come in. That's well, the I did, I did do something during the summer. Be, um, I, I saw a technique that was done on um, some YouTube channel. They were discussing you know, the land and how to bring it back to life. And mm -hmm. they were talking about biochar. And the technique that I decided to go with was I, I was I, I wasn't set up and I didn't have like any barrels or anything to make my own biochar. So I just bought a, a you know a organic charcoal uh from Walmart, you know, uh regular bio uh regular charcoal, you know, just wood, not not you know not the chemical stuff. And uh, crushed it up, put it in a tub with some chicken and duck poop and mm -hmm. um, even some puppy poop and nice. kitty poop <laughs> and mixed it all in and left it there for like two weeks. And then uh, I spread it out on the ground and had my friend come by with his tractor. Yeah, like uh, it was not a tiller, but it was more for uh, clean, uh, 
bringing up rocks to do a driveway, mm -hmm. but it worked good. It, you know, I just wanted to to mix it in there. And so I didn't have a huge amount. I was just doing a small test patch mm -hmm. and it did grow a small patch of uh, grass that I threw there, some grass seeds. It, it did grow, uh, but it wasn't stable. Like, um, I guess it wasn't in the soil enough and, you know, I didn't have enough of it. So my thought was maybe repeat that process next year, spring, along with compost. I'd get, you know, however many yards of compost, spread it out, mm -hmm. do the uh, biochar, you know, mixed in with the fertilizers and, and then mix that all in. And then hopefully I can get some good soil going, you know, yeah. so that I could grow some grass. Cause I just wasted money on grass seeds, not realizing it wasn't going to grow on this soil I have. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that that's awesome. I would say biochar absolutely changed my agricultural life in Costa Rica because all we had down there was red clay. Mm -hmm. Bauxite clay is terrible to grow things. So down in Central America, you have a ton of water. So things right. will things will grow, but they don't have the nutrition to support their, their big bodies, let's just say, their big plant bodies. And so you usually have the insects come and take everything away. <laughs> and so when, when I got into biochar, that like really putting a stable car carbon element within the clay, like changed, changed the whole game. Like mm. all of my orchard, my cacao orchard, like took off like everything took off once i had that yeah so how much of it did you ended up uh using like how much bile try did you make i, I know it's great because it, it, it's so porous and, and that's why why it's so good it helps retain water it helps retain all those fertilizers and microorganisms in the pores and so i'm just curious like how how much of a layer did you put on and did you end up mixing it into the soil as well? Yo, yeah, yeah. For new for new planting, like this last year for blackberry bushes, and I think I did a one-to-one -one ratio. So 50% by volume of my soil was biochar. Oh, okay. And then for like top covers and stuff like that, how much ever you can put down. Right. The thing about biochar or pyrolyzed carbon specifically is it will attract any mycelium that's in the area. And mycelium is like the little mycorrhizal fungus network that transports all the nutrients. Yeah. So you can do a top cover of it and just kind of revitalize old old trees that have been planted into the ground. Because, you know, when you have those really compact, like really compact clay soils, the roots have nowhere to go. Right. You just don't. I hear that uh, a really good plant to plant is uh, comfrey because of yeah. its root system. Yeah. Uh, but would it work good in this clay soil or does it also, the soil needs to be enriched? My experience with comfrey is coming from Central America. So we could plant comfrey in areas that did not get that much sun and we would use it actually as a way to retain like a berm, like retain a, a, a swath of land. Yeah. There wasn't much sun. And so the comfrey would grow really well there and its roots 
would shoot really, really deep into the ground and it would retain the soil. So, and that was a red clay. Like we were in a very dense red clay, but it was in a much warmer, wetter environment than you're in. Right, right. Okay, yeah, because I was considering that also, but when I looked it up, I saw, I don't know much about it. I just saw that they were selling them like in buds, like they have roots already, bulbs, I mean. And um, yeah, but that was something I was considering because I heard it would be good for the soil and then, you know, once it dies, the roots break down, it's all organic matter to help, you know, fertilize the ground. And I was also just going to throw a bunch of worms there, but I realized they do need food. Yeah. <laughs> and so the clay is, there's nothing in there really. Yeah. The clay, the clay is pretty inert. Yeah. So as far as, um, as far as your structures, like, uh, the lattice pattern on the ceiling there um, got me excited because just today I was working on a design for a dome that has a lattice pattern built into the air form so mm -hmm. that I could build two type of structures. One, uh, both you would see the lattice pattern inside the structure. You know, it would be in the concrete. Mm -hmm. um, one, you would be able to completely enclose a dome and have a lattice pattern on the inside. And then with the same air form, you could leave sections open and have a lattice, almost just the lattice dome shape, you know, for like a, a, a what do you call it? Like a gazebo for mm -hmm. outside. So you have two options, an enclosed structure that has that pattern and an open structure. And so I was just working on that. And then I see your ceiling there has a lattice pattern. I was like, oh, awesome. <laughs> yeah, this is like a very inexpensive way to keep the the ceiling foam up. This this part of this old house was an addition and it didn't have much insulation to speak of. So the lattice, this this gardening lattice holds up the, the insulation near near the metal roof. OK, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. I love lattice structures. I I I fell in love with woven homes. I used to see these um, beautiful, beautiful uh, split bamboo woven homes, and I was like, oh my god, to live in a wicker basket like that, like just the the whole feel of that. Uh, that's like what really turned me on to ferro cement like to actually get into ferro cement because in ferro cement you have that whole woven structure right that's inside the concrete and you have all that dynamic tension in there you'll get a kick out of this harry you know who actually really sold me on ferro cement oh he was a he he was a ferryman in San Francisco for 30 years going from, I don't know the geography of San Francisco, of the bay there, but he had a ferro cement boat. Okay. He had this boat that was made during World War II that was a ferro cement boat, and he never had a problem with it, ever. Yeah. And, like, that's a long time to run a boat. All of us who, who've been around boats, you know, boats are like a money pit. And he had this ferro cement boat, he ran his ferry for 30 years going across the bay there. And uh, 
when I first got to Costa Rica, you know, most people were built out of like some sort of wood because there were back then there was so much really nice wood available. And he was like, hell no, I want, I want a masonry building Hmm. in the tropics with all these bugs. Give me masonry. And I, and we, we were talking about ferro cement one day and I was already into dome shapes and I was sold like after seeing all these really cool things that he that he did i was like this is just awesome this is the way to go yeah i know there was a company in italy that was building these concrete boats as well and they were pretty famous for their boats um i've been considering also making a concrete boat uh because um my uh uh my uh the interview i did with doug lacy on my channel he told me that he came up with his uh recipe basically came from these uh universities that were doing these canoe challenges where Mm -hmm. they would make these canoes from cement and so they were doing all these experiments with different types of cements to make it waterproof lightweight strong and basically his recipe uh comes from there and uh, plus, you know, he's modified it himself with all the additives and things. But, you know, it's a very thin cement. And, um, you know, with a, with a either fiberglass or some type of, you know, reinforcement structure, like a lattice structure or fiberglass or even basalt. And, um, yeah, so that's that's really funny. You'd be surprised where <clears throat> ideas will come from. And what will inspire you? Like you're inspired from a boat to build a house, you know, because of that technique that was used. Yeah. Well, it was it was because, uh, you know, um, I guess I would must have been like 12 years old or so in in Florida, like where I grew up in Florida. There's lots of hurricanes. And my dad was a commercial contractor who built skyscrapers. And like, so he was building all these skyscrapers in the eighties, like when the cocaine money was just being washed all throughout Miami. Yeah. And my dad was like emphatic about, you know, not building a stick frame house wherever you have these tropical storms, which proved to be true, (laughs) you know, especially if you're building like a really, you know, big house, like doing that with you know pine in in a hurricane or tornado zone isn't the isn't the best thing and so there was a 60 minutes interview of this old man in north carolina who a hurricane had hit his barrier island where he was and it blew every house off the island so he couldn't get insurance to rebuild his house and he had enough money to build another house but nobody would insure him So he went all around and looking like, what was the solution? Because this is where he'd always lived. This is where he was going to die. He wasn't going to move. And so he hired an Italian company that did those first uh, pneumatic dome homes. Benini. Yeah. And so they, they, they built this. I forget what the diameter. It was like an oblong, you know, it was an oblong dome. It ended up being like something like close to 3,000 square feet inside the dome. And I think 60 Minutes waited a year to post it because they didn't want to tell the story and then have it fail. Right. Well, the next year, I think it was like 19, 
88 or 89, another big hurricane hit that barrier island and his home was fine. Yeah. So they did this full segment where they showed, they told his story. They showed his old house, which was this stick frame. And just this resolute old country bumpkins, like I'm not moving from this island. <laughs> but he was innovative. He went ahead and hired this Italian, you know, this beautiful structure. And yeah. it was resilient to the next hurricane. And as a 12-year-old seeing that and then hearing my dad in the background, because my dad was cooking dinner while we were watching it. And my dad's like, yeah, that's the way to go. Like I was hooked on domes from then on. Because yeah. it just, it makes the most sense. It's like the, you know, other than like, I can understand people wanting different shapes for aesthetic reasons. But if you live in an area where there's lots of hurricanes, lots of tornadoes, or lots of earthquakes, which if you take those three things into account, that's like where the majority of the world lives. <laughs> Even wildfires. Wildfires, so I know. That's why. In heavily wooded areas. Yeah, that's why I'm into these these masonry domes with aircrete is just because I want fire. I'm fireproofing the shit out of them. Yeah. Like yeah, that's definitely. because what what we call climate change, whether it's, you know, organic climate change or synthetic climate change, either way, it's very obvious the areas of the world that are wanted by, let's just say, people that don't own it. Um those areas, the only way that you can be resilient is to have at least a storm shelter or at least have some little pocket where you and your family can jump in at a moment's notice and be in it, let whatever moves through, move through, and then you can build back after that. But if you're in, there's so many of these conventional homes that just could not withstand any type of erratic climate or erratic yeah. event yeah i'm just dumbfounded by the fact that people continue rebuilding the same type of structures after a disaster happens you know especially hurricane alley right you know it's an alley with hurricanes and you're still building stick frames no that, that drives me nuts and, and another example uh in florida is the ida storm home that uh a guy built you know so it's a big dome home and he's been in multiple hurricanes and multiple times every home around his home has been wiped out right you would think the people would say his home is still standing maybe this time i'll build one of those but mm. no they continue to do stick frame structures and and, and losing their home losing everything yeah, and it drove me nuts. I, you know, people don't have to lose these things, but you know, I, I don't know. It's the, it's the, it's basically it's the lobbyists, right? Because they've been pushing for wood to be used, mm -hmm. you know, to keep that relevant. Where the fact is, there's so many new building materials, you know, even even like the geopolymer cements, mm -hmm. you know, basically you need two ingredients to mix up different uh, aggregates into a cement. And so I'm about to start experimenting with making my own geopolymer cement. But, you know, another example, another new material that's relatively easy to make. It's incredibly strong, you know, depending on how you mix it, you can get up to 50,000 PSI from the mix. You mm -hmm. know, that's 
that's achievable. But, um, you know, like even the aircrete blocks, the autoclaved aircrete, there's companies in America now making that. Uh, there have been homes in Europe built from autoclave aircrete bricks for, for decades now, you know, mm-hmm. and um, these things could be done. Anything but wood, in my opinion. I, I love wood and I think wood is beautiful. And there's no question I would still be using wood on the interior of my home. I'm just not going to use wood to build the home because we don't have to, you know. Now, if you're in the tropics, you know, you got tons of bamboo growing everywhere and, you know, you could build something nice and beautiful. Like I see these resorts and, and some hotels do great, you know, that's beautiful. But I'm about build it once, build it, you know, especially I'm living in it. I'm living in my family. I'm building it so it's going to withstand all those things we mentioned. Hurricanes, tornadoes, earthquakes, fires, termites. You know, I want to know I'm home, I'm safe. You know, I can hear explosions going on outside. I'm saying, all right, I'm safe at home. (laughs) Stay in bed. Exactly. I have a quick question with, um, well, first there's, I want for my audience to have like a little bit of background about how, what actually inspired you to go into domes and building with alternatives. Cause I've seen you've done really cool things with containers. I've seen you build beautiful vaults. Like you're a man after my own heart with all these things. Like what, what did you do in your life prior to becoming Aircrete Harry? Like what was your claim? Like how, how did you come up? It was my claim to fame. <laughs> yeah. What, how yeah. did you come up? Uh, well, I was born and raised in Brooklyn, New York. And I worked for the telephone company, uh, which changed its name multiple times. And uh, I was a field technician, uh, cable splicer. I worked usually underground manholes and uh, on the lines also, on the poles, uh, splicing, repairing, you know, uh, phone troubles. And so uh, about 2014 or so, I was talking to my wife and we were discussing about moving out of New York, where we're going to move and um, what to build, because I knew already I was going to build something because the previous year, my wife and I uh, were exploring home options and we did a 60 mile radius from my work site. And so 60 miles is is actually a lot. And um, so we were exploring that and I didn't like the pricing of the homes. And this is back then, 2014, 2015. I was looking at these homes and seeing, you know, $300,000. And, you know, you're not even talking about uh, not even a quarter acre worth of property, you know? So I just wasn't seeing the worth of the home. I didn't see that value. To me, that didn't add up. And, you know, I get the whole thing where, you know, where the property is located and the cost, but I wasn't going for it. So I just, we decided pretty early, we're going to have to build our own home. And that's going to be the least expensive way to go. Cause there were plenty of lots available with no home on it that were really inexpensive uh, compared to something with a house, you know? And so that's where it started for me. That's where my research started. Then I started looking into building my own home. And the first workshop I did was in Arizona with this uh, system called Green Rhino Building System. 
And this gentleman, uh, Dan, he, he had a system where he was building with styrofoam. So he had these big blocks of styrofoam. They were eight inches thick, four inches tall, and 16 feet long. Yeah, some of them were 16 feet long. And so at the workshop, we built these things by spray foaming uh, the joints where we glued them together. And after we glued two pieces together, you instantly had an eight foot wall, eight foot tall wall, 16 feet long. And then we basically put a mesh on it with a latex coating of uh, stucco cement. And it was a really interesting way to build. We built this small, like 150 square foot structure. Uh, it was being cooled with a little 5,000 uh, BTU air conditioning, air conditioner. And the efficiency was incredible. And it was so easy to build because once you uh, foam glued it and you stuckled the outside on the inside, you use a hot wire cutter to cut out strips so you could stuff your wiring and plumbing into it and mm -hmm. then uh, refill that with foam to seal it all up and then another mesh and cement. And that mesh and cement is what gave it massive amount of strength. Yeah, that's the numbers. Yeah, exactly. And so I learned that system. I was highly impressed with it. I was ready. I was ready to build one of those structures when I got back. I got back from Arizona. I was telling my wife all about, you know, the workshop. And um, then I started looking at properties in New York City, right? And I found lots for like 50, 60,000, which is incredible, you know, to be in Brooklyn or in Queens, New York. And, and just pay that much for a lot was was off the hook. And so I found some. And then when I started inquiring on quotes to get the materials I needed, that's when this very economical system of building got out of hand because of the cost to pay for shipping to get all the styrofoam blocks that I needed. You know, it, it was just outrageous. The cost started skyrocketing. And so right around that time, Dome Gaia came out with Aircrete. Nice. Right? And I said, okay, this is interesting. Because my whole life, I've lived in poured concrete or cinder block home or or the old uh, system of wood lath with cement. I forget uh, the name of that. And so it's always, I've never lived in a stick frame sheetrock house, you know, because in Puerto Rico, where my family is from, uh, the house is cinder block cement, just solid, withstood so many hurricanes right, right across the street from the beach, you know, because there were other uh, uh, less expensive, uh, uh, weaker built structures around, you know, in those mm -hmm. neighborhoods, you had a lot of just, you know, tin roofs and stuff like that, because it's the tropics. But um. So I'm just used to solid. So when I saw the aircrete, I said, oh, this is very interesting. You know, it was lightweight. It was insulative. And so there was a lot to it. So I jumped right in. I bought this machine that they were offering called the Green, the Green Dragon. Dragon. Woo! Yeah. <laughs> and so uh, I got the Green Dragon, and that's where Aircrete Harry started because I started doing experiments with this green dragon. And at that time, I was the only person on YouTube 
doing aircrete experiments because Dome Guy made a beautiful video showing structures and showing this new material you can use to build them. But that was it. It was no how-tos or anything. And um, there were a lot of learning lessons. And basically what I learned was the green dragon did not work as a... <laughs> so a lot was... of us, let's just, I put my hand up, uh, a startup capital for Hajar and his, and his son in Domegaya. I bought two of those things, the one and the two, and that's what brought me to you. So I'm I'm thankful to them because in a roundabout way, I was like, this doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. And so I was also very thankful to them for introducing me to something called Aircrete. And Aircrete is not new. It, Aircrete is just a new name that was given to cellular cement. So in the concrete world, um, if you want to aerate it cement, that's called cellular cement. So that existed already for, for decades. So there was nothing new in that respect. What was new was this Aircrete was being used solely as the building material. That's what was new. And that was very different. But as I was practicing and trying to make aircrete and having failure after failure, I started realizing the aircrete was not something I was going to want to live in. An air, a pure aircrete structure. Now I know they were building that. Uh, Don't Guy was building, and that's great. You know, they're in the tropics, you know, a very inexpensive way to build. But the reality was after I made a 12 inch by 12 inch by 12 inch aircrete brick and it set, it set for like about three weeks and I took it, put it against my chest and I was able to crack it in half. I said, no way in hell in a structure made purely of aircrete, right? And obviously there's ways to make it stronger by doing a, a coating, you know, uh, um, putting a stucco coating on the inside and outside, and that's what gives it the strength. Similar to the green rhino building system that was all styrofoam and gained its strength from the cement and mesh. Same thing could be done with aircrete. Now, the next issue I ran into as I was doing these experiments, I was also researching and finding that I was gonna have a lot of trouble trying to get a house approved made uh, purely of aircrete. Yes. And so then from that point, I uh, found out about Dome Gaia. I mean, um, I found out about monolithic domes and uh, Benini uh, shells and these structures. And then I started learning about the geometries, how the dome is the strongest shape you could build. And, you know, hyperbolic paraboloids are incredibly strong structures as well. And so then my mind started reinventing how I could build. And then again, I'm in New York. Uh, at this point, I'm now uh, in Staten Island, New York, doing all my aircrete experiments. And so I'm doing experiments to figure out how to make aircrete stronger, you know, and I learned a lot with all those experiments I did. Um, and and that, was, that was really good. And so I got to the point where I was happy with the strength that I could get from Aircrete, now I just had to figure out how to legally build a structure using it. And that's when I came up with the double airform system. So basically, 
I invested on in some uh, air forms that I bought from Monolithic, uh, eight foot and nine foot air form. And the idea was I would inflate one air form, spray a reinforced stucco cement mix onto that. Once that cured, I would put a second air form over that structure and then just fill the cavity with aircrete. So I'm basically using the second air form as a, a, a form or a mold because mm -hmm. I have the first structure there and the second one is just the air form fabric and I'm filling that cavity with aircrete now. Perfect. And so I did the experiment. Uh, I did have a failure and a success. Uh, the failure was um, was a learning lesson that the air pressure from the second air form pushed in the first air form. Ah. And so what happened is as I filled the cavity, air creep began to leak inside onto the floor where, where it wasn't supposed to. So I stopped the experiment, but I saw, and all of this is documented on YouTube. You can see all this. Uh, I stopped the experiment and I poured about six inches of air creep. And so that's all I needed. It was, to me, it was a massive success because I pulled it off. I filled six inches all the way around the dome with the aircrete and it stuck to the structure great. And, um, you know, so I, it was really impressed. I was really impressed. And so then I made the big investment to buying the big air forms because now I'm gun ho with this system. I spoke to engineers. I knew that my reinforced structural shell was what's going to give you, uh, give anybody uh, a building a permit because you have a safe structure that engineers are familiar with because it's just cement and sand with reinforcement, whether it's fiberglass, basalt, you know, metal rebar, basalt rebar, whatever. As long as it's a reinforced structure, they know those numbers. And so that make puts the engineer's mind at peace because engineer doesn't a structural engineer doesn't want to be responsible for you dying in the structure that he approved. Right. Uh, so that's why a lot of aircrete structures don't get approved in this country without some serious reinforcement on the inside. <laughs> and so I came up with that system. Then I bought my big 30 foot air form, my 32 foot air form, because I was planning on using that system. So that's basically how I started with the aircrete. That was my drive was wanting to build an inexpensive home. And during this process of all the experiments is, is when I realized I was really helping a lot of people because I was seeing all the comments, you know, all the grateful people for, you know, showing them that the Green Dragon didn't work and they saved their money. And then, you know, showing them how one option that they have that they could build, you know, with the system that I was developing. And so that became another driving force for me because at one point I started getting a little down on myself when I was in New York because things weren't happening fast enough, you right. know, because I was in New York. We already purchased our first property. I was just so sick in New York City, just wanted to get out and move to Colorado because, you know, I visited and it was beautiful. It was like God painted a, a brand new mural in the sky every day. It was just that amazing to to be able to see the stars even was amazing. Coming from New York City my entire life, 
where you could only see like maybe four or five stars in the in the night sky to being able to see the entire Milky Way galaxy was just awe-inspiring. And I was like, it just made me more depressed in New York that I wasn't, I, I didn't leave yet. Mm-hmm. And so I was dealing with all that. And then my wife reminded me of all the people that emailed, that that commented, how thank and I, you know, that made my heart feel good. And then I was like, okay, yeah, I'm just gonna focus on building my own home, but in that process, thinking of everyone else who might have to follow my example, you know, and so I just it just made me really think of the process of building, you know, when I came up with the system that I came up with just to make it easier for people to build, you know, for myself, number one, and then and that anybody else could replicate what I've done. And I, I feel like I, I came up with that and I was very happy with, with that. And I'm still, you know, progressing, experimenting, you know, trying to develop other ways of, you know, mixing cements and, and building structures. But I'm a big fan of the air form. That was my final conclusion was for me, the idea of an earth ship was beautiful, but the idea that labor was like, so I forget about that. I was not interested in that labor, but the whole, all the concept of it. So, you know, I, I'm going to be borrowing from a lot of different uh, systems that are out there to, you know, put my own home together. And in my opinion, they're probably some of the best things I could incorporate. And, you know, I look to share that once I have those things incorporated. But that's my story was just looking to build my own home inexpensively mm-hmm. is is where my journey started with Aircrete. I, I bravo to you because I had been messing around with Dome Gaia's stuff for a few years. I'd interviewed Hajar on my old podcast. And like, I really wanted this to work because I was already a ferro cement guy. So I was like, ferro cement, which is like you're saying the reinforced, you know, thin shell cement, I, I'm very good at. Now I was like, okay, but this now gives me the form factor that I want. Yeah. You know, so I can mechanically create whatever I want out of these metal lattices and doing the ferro cement. And then I saw just how resilient those structures were in an area of the world that was super wet. Like Costa Rica would get close to, there was one year there where we got, what's that equal to? We got 380 inches of of rain one year. (laughs) That's a lot of rain. Yeah, yeah. And so we would have nights where like in an hour, we'd have 12 inches of rain, like the serious water. And so for my clients, I started to tell them, I'm like, I'm not building you a house. I'm building you a submarine (laughs) (laughs) because we live in 100% humidity and literally there's deluges that occur where your your house needs to be built like a boat. Right. It's just that's what's necessary. And so Aircrete, I was totally switched on, but... Uh, my friend and I, who were buying the Green Dragons, we were not having any success with it. And then I came across your videos, and then um, the gentleman, um, the Honeydew Carpenter, also on on YouTube. 
Yeah. And uh, between you two guys and like my own knowledge with Ferro Cement, figured it out. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> okay, this is awesome. And I really loved your pumping system, how simple you made your pumping system, like what with the 55 gallon barrels and everything. Yeah. I was like, man, because to me, one of the most underutilized things for the, the do-it-yourselfer builder is pneumatic power. Like air compress, having air compressed power is like having 10 guys on your work site. Yeah. You know, and like in some of the off-grid homes that I had built and designed, we had built trumps. Have you ever heard of a trump? No. You're not so, talking about the ex-president, right? No, no. That's a <laughs> that's a trump. But okay. a trump is a system where you create a cavitation pump that moves water from one area to another, but in the cavitation pump, you intentionally pull in extra air. This is the oh, okay. way this is the way mining companies used to send compressed air down into the mine shaft so the, the so their guys wouldn't die. Right. But when you have falling water, that falling water creates a vacuum. You can put little tubes where that falling water is, and that will suck air in. And then when that water crashes into a tank, the water stays low and the air wants to rise. But if you go ahead and put a valving system that acts like um, essentially just like a ram pump would, a cavitation pump, all that air starts to compress and then you have all this free compressed air from falling water yeah and this is like like people like that our entire world has been terraformed by mining operations well how did mining operations do it before electricity they used these systems they were using right. they were using air power and so i'm like once I, Bill Mollison, actually, like the, the permaculture guru extraordinaire, he's the one who turned me on to the Tromps. And so my dad always used to tell me when I was a kid, he's like, pneumatics is where it's at. Like, we can get so much done with hydraulics and pneumatics. Like, yeah. And so when I saw your do it yourself for pneumatics, I was like, he's got it going on. Mm -hmm. Because cause out of all the people, that I was trying to study on YouTube University, you were the only one that was effectively doing it. So I give you, I give you mad props. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, and, and it's funny you mentioned that because I heard a story of a, I don't recall which town it is. I don't know if I was told which town, but there was a town in Canada that was using wood logs in their lake and they had these wooden logs had holes in them and basically they were had a pneumatic system like you described and they were using old wooden logs as their um compressor you know so they had it just at the level of the water where water would go in it would mm -hmm. force the air down and i'm not sure of exactly how the valving system worked so that water didn't get in the line but the water pushed the air and they had free air pressure and it was like 220 psi i was told yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's a lot of air pressure you know well, for pneumatic tools 
So this is a beautiful system. You're going to love this. And I know like tomorrow you're going to start experimenting because that's why I love you. You're always experimenting. So this happened to me. I was on a farm where we had just gone up to like the top of the farm and found the spring because we were doing a gravity feed system, right? So I'm down in the kitchen one night and there was all this air in the line. And I was like, shit, somewhere the line split. Right. So I walked the entire line all the way up to the spring, which was not an easy thing to do. And right where the main, right where our water catch was, there was like a, a 45 degree elbow in the, just right there, the pipe had split. So I could hear air being sucked down because there was still water going down. Right. This was like 2000. This is 2008. And I was like, I, I immediately just put my hand right over where the 45 and the downpipe was. And it like gave a hickey on my palm. It like wow. sucked. That's how much suction was there. And I was like, why are we wasting all this time trying to get head at the bottom of of these water uh, these water drops that we do these down pipes to create pressure for a pelton wheel when we have all this suction at the top well obviously the people that created the tromp had figured that out way 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 before because for those of you that don't know if you have a property that has elevation and has water most of the time your home is going to be high on the property, but where the energy is going to be generated is down low on the property. And then you have to spend all this money in wire to get from your generator back to your structure. And then you get all this loss depending on how long that wire is. So this is a, this is just like a, a logistic problem, an engineering problem with creating electricity for yourself. But there it was, like I had my direct experience of having my my hand hickeyed, you know, and I was like, oh my goodness. So all these guys do with the Trump is instead of putting like a 45 there, they'll put a 90 and then they'll put all these long tubes that will suck air down into that falling water, but it sucks it down. If the tubes are different lengths, it sucks down different size air bubbles. And so all that air going down when it makes it to the bottom cavity, all that turbulence that's created when that water's falling and all the air in the different sizes and different pressures, and then having the cavitation on both sides, because you want the water to pass through that, that cavity right. that the water's falling in, the water doesn't stay there. It just stays there long enough to do, to do the work for you. Push the air. Exactly. And then the water moves through. And then because the air is light, the air raises to a secondary chamber. And that's what you use as your primary air tank. Yeah, I've seen that system used in um, the moonshining show on Discovery, where they're, you know, they're out in the middle of the woods and they need water. And they set up one of those systems where they can get water from the river low and pump it using that air pressure and the water up to a higher level and mm -hmm. even maybe have another step up where it pumps to that point and then from there it pumps up. But yeah, I mean, basically we're 
we're talking about a free energy device, uh, you know, when we're discussing this water creating air pressure. Mm -hmm. And you get some pneumatic motor and you could probably turn a generator head with enough pressure. Yeah, I actually contacted because in France they have air compressed cars. Right. And so I actually contacted uh, the motor company for those air compressed cars. And that was right before we moved from Costa Rica. So I haven't given it any, any attention since then. But you can find, especially in Europe and in Brazil, there's a company in Brazil called Kepe Motor that I'm affiliated with, where they essentially use the the what's giving them rotational velocity on their rotor is air. Like, it's, it's no problem to generate electricity with it. Yeah. Um, when you were describing how the device worked, I was thinking of um, a similar device, which was a, uh, it was an uh, attachment to create your own vacuum table. So I have a CNC machine. I, I used to do a lot of CNC, you know, woodwork. And um, so you could easily create your own vacuum table by using air pressure. So you have your compressor going through this valve. And so the air passing through one way would suck the air from the table. And so it was wild. So basically the water did the same thing the air compressor is doing as it's going through and it was able to pull the vacuum. And it was amazing that I could make a vacuum table from air pressure blowing through. You know, it was like mind boggling because you I only I thought you could only, you know, have something sucking to create that vacuum. But here I had air blowing through and it was creating a vacuum. So it's it's wild how some of that stuff works. It's amazing. And that's how that original thing that you brought up earlier, how they actually can create these chambers, that chamber that has the biochar, that's what they're doing. You have forced air induction on one side, and if it's fluted cor correctly, it creates a vacuum. That vacuum then, if that has a certain shape, that creates cooling. So there's there's such a thing as air compressor uh, uh, refrigerators. Like you can literally make a fridge with no refrigerant just by fluting the pressurized air in a certain direction, probably through a valve that's very similar to what you just discussed. Right. Yeah, that's interesting. And it's important too what we're discussing here because this is all, in my opinion, goes towards creating a passive home. Yes. You know, all of these... Uh, ideas we're discussing, you know, we haven't discussed like uh, earth batteries and things, but like those are all the types of things I'm looking to incorporate into my home uh, just to make it as passive a, a system as possible. I could walk away from the home for a year if I wanted and it would maintain temperature, mm -hmm. you know, everything would, would be good still. And so I like these ideas because especially for people who are around bodies of water that could incorporate something like this and, mm -hmm. and have a little bit of free power somewhere in their home, mm -hmm. you know? Because <clears throat> one idea I had for my home was to make it a little more analog, uh, get away from the digital stuff. Yes. Kind of a little bit prepping in a way, 
you know, uh, concern about solar flare EMPs or man-made EMPs, mm -hmm. and then basically having electronics that are useless. So one idea I had was to have a um, a manifold of uh, turning, um, basically like a turning cable. So we'll just say, we'll just use an example of this system we're talking about here, where we're using air pressure to turn a pneumatic motor that would turn a shaft that would be going into my kitchen and I could have an outlet on my pole with an actual turning piece that I plug into and I could have my blender that's direct power. Mm -hmm. I'm not using any electricity. That's what I mean when I'm saying analog, building analog systems where there's no electronics, no digitals involved and mm -hmm. still be able to have a functioning kitchen, you know, mixer, that's powered by, it could be a water wheel even, you know? Mm -hmm. But whatever the energy source is, the idea is in the house, you can convert that energy. Even if in the worst case scenario, you're using a PTO of a tractor, you know, and you're just, you know, maximizing your, your resources and minimizing um, unnecessary electronics and things you don't need that could break down or burn out. I love it. I love it because I see some of these smart homes and I I can't stand them. Just the buzz that's within them, the 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 level of frequency bombardment that you're under yeah. in something like that. I really think smart homes are there to stupefy humans. Yeah. And I think I, I think I mean obviously you and I are on the same page with most of that stuff, but I I, I don't think any of that's for the benefit the benefit of humans. Because no. so much of that stuff breaks down so quickly, and then you're in that disaster capitalism model where you're always having to buy new crap all the time, right? Just to yeah. keep the house somewhat functional. Yeah, I love again. I love the old days, you know, the industrial age, you know, the early 1900s, where. You know the printers were all mechanical. You know the 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 minds that went into building these mechanical manual printers and and just these you know analog tools were amazing. And I don't think we should forget them. I think in fact we should bring them back, reinvent you know analog equipment, analog tools. Uh, the digital age is fun, but I think we'll leave the digital to the computer. You know, I don't need Wi-Fi in a microwave. That doesn't make no. sense. There's <laughs> no radiation. In fact, I don't even use a microwave. I was about to give you the evil eye. I was about yeah, to yeah. judge you over here for using yeah, it. Yeah. So um, so you know, I, I don't I don't like any of those things. You know, I've learned a lot even through Dan Winter when it comes to biogeometry. And, and different energies and even having different metals in your structures and how they can be good or bad. So keeping it analog is probably should be the shirt I make, keeping it analog. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, that, that's what I like, just because it's more reliable because the last thing you need is for a piece of equipment to get hot and a little circuit or or something pops or, or, or gets too warm and the solder comes off. And, you know, now you have this expensive piece of equipment or some tool that's no longer working because of something electronic, you know, and 
that could be uh, a real pain in a butt to repair. Definitely, definitely. I have a I have a question with you with your experimentation with the aircrete. One thing I do a lot with my ferro cement, and I did it with cob construction because I went from being a totally natural builder and like mixing cob, uh, which is a mixture of clay, sand, and fiber, some sort of natural cellulitic fiber. I had settled on using coconut fiber, long, mature coconut fiber, because it doesn't rot. It's antifungal, antimicrobial. I would make really good cob. And then I was like, hmm, you know, with a lot of these ferro cement buildings with, with thin shell cement, you get cracking. In any masonry, you can get cracking. And so people had turned me on to using like little fiberglass to like mix in with with part of my mix. So it was almost like I was making a, a, a concrete based uh, cob because it had all these like, you know, millions of little fiberglass shards in there. Right. And the guy, the guy I told you about, Jerry, who had the ferro cement boat, he said he, he called it hairy. It was a hairy boat because it had little pieces of fiberglass coming out of it here and there. Right. And so, um, do you mix like hemp fiber or fiberglass into your aircrete? Have you found like mixing any type of those types of fiber actually help you with with where you're at? Uh, they do, and the size is extremely important because aircrete in itself is a cement with a lot of air pockets. So if you got a, we'll just say this is a fiber. And um, this could be a, a PVA or basalt fiber. And you have an air pocket, right? And that looks a little funny, but <laughs> you got an <laughs> air pocket. The air pocket is not grabbing those fibers. Right. Because there's it's nothing solid to grab onto the fibers. So what I learned is the size of the fibers is very important. Mm -hmm. So if you're going to add fibers to your aircrete, you want to add a very fine, you want to add a very fine fiber, like the finest PVA fiber you could get or whatever fiber you're using. It has to be like hair like, you know, very thin hair like uh, the bigger the fibers won't work well. Your right. aircrete would crack and it would you would just see it just come apart and be like those fibers are doing nothing. But the tiny fibers, the very small hair-like fibers, they help to give the aircrete strength. It gives the aircrete some flexibility, you know, so you could flex a little without cracking. And yes, um, so a very fine hair PVA fibers work great to increase the strength of aircrete. And also you can use uh, the aircrete thickening agent that I provide that I found to really give a lot of strength to your aircrete. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, outside of that, um, cement accelerator you could use, but in extremely small amounts. The maximum would be two ounces per bag of cement, per 92-pound bag of cement. Uh, because if you use too much of that, uh, it's a sodium cal uh, calcium, so calcium, sodium, sodium, calcium, I forget. Um, if you use too much of that, it'll pop the bubbles in mm -hmm. your aircrete foam. 
So two ounces was the max that I could use in a bag of cement. And it increased the cure time and the strength of the aircrete as well. So yeah, fibers do work, but very fine hair fibers would be the only thing I would suggest in your DIY aircrete. That's awesome. And everybody, I'm going to put links to your YouTube page because you are the consummate experimenter. You explain everything very, very well. I've learned, I would say 80% of my air Crete knowledge has come from you, you and your YouTube page. It's just wonderful. Have you had a chance to actually um, use any type of magnesium cements? Have you experimented with magnesium cements? Um, I did a little bit of experimenting in the, um, in my search for a better home. Uh, I found a, another company in Las Vegas called uh, Giga House uh -huh. and Giga House, um, produces their own steel studs. So they have their own size studs that they make and they have CNC machines to, uh, wire cut CNC wire cutters to wire cut styrofoam blocks to fit their stud channeling system that they have. So they put these foam blocks over these steel studs that they make and they put a fiberglass mesh and they use a magnesium based cement. Mm -hmm. Now they have a proprietary mix that's not water soluble. Most magnesium is water soluble. So you have to have the right combination of, uh, ingredients so it's not and um it just means it doesn't wash away in the water in the rain and so and, and they've done multiple tests they've done fire tests and things so i ended up buying a pallet of magnesium cement and just did a couple of small experiments and i was just highly impressed with the strength of this magnesium cement i mean it was, uh, they have PSIs up to 10,000 with this magnesium cement. So the benefit of that is you can use a thinner amount of this stuff on your structure and have it be stronger than your 3,000 PSI or even 5,000 PSI Portland cement. You're mm -hmm. at eight to 10,000 PSI with this magnesium. So uh, as far as aircrete, I have not made aircrete with magnesium. As far as I know, it's not possible. Um, the only thing that's made with magnesium, I, I haven't done the aircrete experiment. I've only done magnesium as a cement, not as an aircrete. Mm -hmm. I know aircrete with, spelt with a K is an insulative product that's supposed to be one of the best products you can insulate a home with, a traditional stick frame home. Uh, because it doesn't affect you if you have allergies, you know, it's magnesium. So it's, it's, a, it's a mineral that our bodies actually need. And so it's very healthy uh, in the sense of different insulations you could get in a stick frame home. Mm -hmm. This was considered the best, but that stuff has a, um, a calcium uh, liquid that's mixed with it. And so you have to have that, which is salt and you can't have salt when you're making DIY foam bubbles with Drexel or you know any dish soap, because that'll pop the bubbles. So um, I haven't made, I haven't heard of anyone making aircrete with magnesium, 
but magnesium on its own as a stucco coating instead of Portland, I loved that idea because it's really much healthier and it's a better product. And my intent has always been to cover the inner walls of my Portland cement dome with the magnesium cement so that all my interior walls are covered in magnesium just for the energetic properties and and uh, to have the magnesium give me a seal away from the Portland cement. Not that I'm that concerned with Portland cement, but I just really like the idea of magnesium. And so putting it on like one sixteenth of an inch, you know, coating around is is the idea I've had and, and planning on doing. Which one of the GigaCrete products did you test? Was it Plaster Max, Stucco Max, or Ballisticrete? It was the, uh, I had both the Plaster Max and the Stucco Max. The Ballisticrete is just actually a technique of layering to make it Ballisticrete. I think the Ballisticrete is using the Plaster, uh, the Stucco Max. Um, uh-huh. And uh, it's the same cement recipe is just a different system of applying it. And and the, the fact is that company would not sell me the cement until I visited their warehouse in Vegas and had hands-on experience applying it because they have the claim with the ballisticrete that they can stop up to a 50 uh, BMG round using that cement. So basically you can turn any home into a bulletproof home. Any sheetrock wall, you know, whatever cheap vinyl on the outside, sheetrock and in the inside would never stop a bullet. You could apply this in the proper, with the proper technique and the proper layers to create a bulletproof structure to make your home safe, you know, if you live in a bad neighborhood where there's gunfires happening. But um, they wouldn't sell it to me until I visited them and learned because they don't they don't want the claim they don't want to be liable for anything. So they said, this is how you do it. Now you've learned if you're going to, you know, make ballisticrete for people, you got to know how to do it. That's that's <clears throat> wonderful. I had contacted them a couple of years ago when I first moved back to the States. And um, yeah, I was I was planning on going out there to Las Vegas to learn their system. And then we moved and moved again, like a bunch of stuff. So um, I'm glad to hear if if you say it's a good product, I know it is a good product. Um, I, I have to say, as far as that product, I was amazed by the product. Mm-hmm. They had uh, examples, you know, in their showroom of not only different colors and different finishes, you know, like satin or glossy or whatever. You could get all of the color. It was amazing. Every color you wanted, you could have a wood grain look. They had a table that was like an inch and a half thick that you you knew this thing was not breaking. <laughs> this was the most solid table I've ever felt. And if you wanted, you could give it a wood grain look. You could give it a marble look. Mm-hmm. You know, in fact, speaking of marble, I just learned recently about sconcing, if that's pronounced yeah. correctly, which is a, a way to make something look like marble. Mm-hmm. And you would be completely fooled to think it's actually marble, but it's not. It's just a a particular system of making something look like marble, glossy mm-hmm. and everything. Anyway, that's just something I recently learned about sconzing. I was like, oh, wow, you can make something real fancy for cheap. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
I've, I've been doing lots of polished concrete installations for kitchen countertops for the last 15 years and yeah. been exposed to some pretty cool stuff. Um, also like with using epoxy resins and I, I, my, my internal barometer says that messing around too much with epoxies is not good for the body. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. I, I think they're beautiful. Like I was just discussing this with my wife last night, cause we were watching some videos and they were doing some epoxy floors for a garage. And then I uh, told her about the other epoxies with the multiple colors. Like my favorite one is when they have a copper look. So they have the floors and they have this copper stream or like river yeah. going through the floor. And it looks beautiful. I, I really love the look. But like you mentioned, I'm not sure about the health, like what that might do being around it, you know, uh, whatever, you know. It, yeah, I get it, cures and all this and that. But um, right now, I'm a big fan of the cement. I like the idea of polishing. I was considering getting my own polisher as well so I could polish my concrete floors. Uh, but like I mentioned, I just learned about this sconcing and I think I want to dive into that a little because um, that's an ancient technique, you know? It is. To it... create that. And there's structures exist still today that have been done thousands of years ago and they look like marble, but they're not. <laughs> no, it, it's beautiful. Um, I have a... So where I'm at with what I'm going to be doing, I'm going to be doing my first uh completely 100% my dome um for me on my own property <laughs> the first time um here in the Ozarks it's going to be a 24 foot diameter dome i'm going to do my tension ring at the bottom of the dome cuz i frame everything with the japanese star dome so I use three inch wide, we call it platina, but it's a, I guess they call them bars here in the United States, uh, three inch wide by um, three sixteenths inch thick black metal. We create these struts that are for that, for that size dome, those struts are close to 40 feet long. And we only make 15 of those struts and then we lay them over in a mandala fashion and then pop them up. We rivet them so that they have tension and then that's the skeleton for the mesh that I put on top. I'll do a ferro cement mesh on top of that and then we're gonna do aircrete. And then I'm gonna come over the aircrete with a layer of, of geotextile and cement because that's the way I do a lot of my roofs. And then like something like this gigacrete, um, I would love to like do it, in any of their products, do they talk about water resistance? Yes, it's very water resistant, completely waterproof, which is the other reason I like it. And um, they've done a fire rating test with it for like two hours, 1500 degrees. Uh, it was solid. And the thing is, there was foam behind it, and the foam did not even melt. So mm -hmm. because of the uh, magnesium nature, because, you know, they use magnesium in a lot of furnaces as well, um, it's just really good at reflecting the heat. 
So that's my thing is like, imagine what you do. You have your ferrous cement shell to give you your mechanical strength. The fucker will never go away no matter what. You come over top of it with like a magnesium aircrete. And then you super shield it even more so with having something like this, this uh, plaster max or stucco max on top of it. Yeah. That's an indestructible structure. The shape the geometry, um, obviously, you have to be intelligent, like with where you put it on your property relative to, you know, water and wind intrusion, and uh, really do your doors and windows correctly because those are usually fail points. But um, I think that's I, that's exactly what I'm going to do. Yeah, well, it sounds pretty solid to me. <laughs> I look forward to seeing that. Yeah, yeah. Because my goal also is to be able to build a structure just with one other person. Yeah, and that's that's where that's where I'm at with my whole design. In fact, that's what I was able to prove that I built my first dome completely alone, um, and uh, you know, just showing it's completely doable. Because the issue a lot of people may have. Uh, who are looking to do what we are doing, which is go off grid, you know, get a plot of land. You might be moving somewhere uh, away from friends and family, and you might not have help. Right. You might find it difficult to get help, and you might have to do it all on your own. And that's the reason I ended up uh, sewing my own air forms from Tyvek, because as I mentioned before, I'd purchased a bunch of air forms. But they were hundreds of pounds each. And me alone, I could not maneuver them, mount them. It was like I needed three people just to mount one air form because one person had to hold the air form off of you. You know, you had to keep the weight off of your back and neck while you're mounting it to the ground. And, you know, it's an air form. So you can't just stick anything in there. You don't want to damage or puncture your air form. You mm -hmm. know, like I had ladders and things before. But it was very difficult. You need help. Um, so the Tyvex, once I sewed my own, I was able to lift up a 24-foot, 16-foot by myself, super easy. Any child could have lifted it up by themselves. That's how lightweight it was. And and that was, you know, it was a necessity for me. That's mm -hmm. that's what I, that was the direction I, I ended up going out of necessity because I didn't have the labor. I didn't have the funds for the labor and I had to do it all on my own. So that's out of, out of need. I developed my system and, and was very happy uh, with the system. Oh, that's awesome, Harry. You've been such an inspiration to me. And uh, I, I'm so excited that we finally got to do a chat for both of our audiences where we could like really kind of dive into so what got us into this and like where we're headed with it? What's, what's your next build on your property? What are you doing right now? So right now, you know, it's uh, winter here, so I'm not going to be doing anything. So right now what I'm considering is starting something new, which is a consultant rental service. And my idea is... I haven't worked out any details. It just uh, just came up a few days ago. I thought of the idea. 
was since I'm not able to do the work here on my property and continue my build, I have many, many people contacting me about uh, building for them. Now, I can't build for anybody because I'm not a contractor. Not only am I not a contractor in my own state, I'm not a contractor in any other state. So legally, I can't build for anybody. So that's where I would be a consultant and I could assist you and train you to use my equipment. So the idea is I load up my trailer with every piece of equipment that I have used to build the shotcrete machine, air compressors, all my air forms, 20 foot, 30 foot, 16 foot, 32 foot, 22 foot, the hyperbolic paraboloid air form, 24 feet wide, 64 feet long, and my hallway tunnel, which is nine feet wide, nine feet tall, 45 feet long, which uh, I was gonna use to build a greenhouse with. And so I would load it all up on a trailer and for, I don't know, 15 to 20 grand, I come out with my equipment, you being the homeowner uh, or your own contractor, or you can hire a local contractor and we mount my air form. The idea I, ideally is the foundation has been done already. So I come out with the equipment, we mount the air forms, inflate them, call in a cement truck or mix on site and spray them. And then you have a solid structural shell, you know, be reinforced with rebar and basalt chop or whatever reinforcements we add. And so we build you a solid reinforced concrete shell, whether it's a dome, hyperbolic paraboloid, and you finish it from there with the insulation layer uh, because you could go any route. The homeowner could go with aircrete. They might need to be they may need to make their own aircrete bricks to attach to it because there's not a form that you could pour the aircrete into. So if, so if I came out and built a reinforced concrete shell, if I came out and assisted you in building a shell, you can insulate it however you want. And so you have many options, you know, styrocrete, styroaircrete, um, epic cement mix, or just aircrete you can make blocks the the other everything other than aircrete is much easier to make like the epic mix has paper styrofoam and cement mixed together with water mm -hmm. and that's how i built my first dome in 2019 basically by hand you see me in the video making these big epic bowls and slapping it onto the dome and then trialing it smooth and so i was able to build up three inches uh thick layer that works great to this day. It's super warm in there. Uh, so that's my thought. And actually, you're probably the first person I'm saying this to outside of my wife. So what's your uh, opinion on what I've just said to you as an idea for service? I love it. And I already have a construction consulting business. And I'll I'll recommend you to clients. I mean, that's perfect. Because I don't have the hands yet. Like I'm training people in my ferro cement style. I'm still, I'm nowhere, I don't have nearly the amount of hours into aircrete that you do. But I've pretty much, you know, I guess you would say codified your system. And I use all the amendments. Like I, for all of you out there, I've bought pretty, I bought your um, 
your foam generator. I bought what you recommended as your double uh, mixers. Um, I have gotten all my chemicals through you. Like you're you're my main supplier for all this. Um, so I know what you're talking about works. I've done all my experimentation with actually uh, creating um, different types of rocket mass heaters because rocket mass heaters need insulation a lot of them to keep buildings safe and all the rest of it. So um, I've used uh, the company Foscrete's magnesium cement as the fire suppressant, um, that side of it. But then the insulative side has been pretty much your mixes of aircrete. And I, I they're brilliant. So I have total confidence in, in that with you. So, um, I'm glad that we're both on the same page with having some sort of metal reinforced structure within within the structures um, or basalt or basalt exactly some sort the way I should say is some sort of mechanical yes. tension because yes. I just visited um, a development in Costa Rica where they had six of the dome Gaia domes there and they were finished really well. They were having some problems with them from a ceiling perspective. And I didn't like the fact that there's no mechanical strength in them. Like the right. only thing that there is, is the shape. Right. And it's essentially an igloo of aircrete. That's exactly what it is. Yep. And um, I didn't like the amount of labor that it took to build them. I didn't. There's a few things. I liked how they ended up, but the, the price per square foot was so high because they're so labor intensive. And like the Dome Gaia videos are really appealing for most people because they see that and they're like, oh, that's so beautiful. And the marketing is very beautiful. It is. And as a builder, and now you're a builder, you instantly go into like the whole calculation of what does it take to actually do that? And does that fit like a budget? <laughs> and um, most people out there that are, are, are going to build, they're not going to build it by themselves. They're going to need to hire somebody to do it. That's just the fact of the matter. There's very few DIYers for their own homes, you know? And so, yeah, and I love a lot of times when you see those videos, also, there's big groups of people they have working on building those because it's a workshop. Yeah. And so you might have 20 people building, and wow, it looks great. It's so quick. But the fact is, when you're going solo, it's going to take you months. Yeah. And, and that's the massive difference between that system and what I'm doing. Because with the air form, I could mount the air form today and be completely finished by tomorrow with the structure. I mean, I could be finished the same day, especially using the reusable air forms uh, opposed to the Tyvek because the reusable air forms can handle much more air pressure, which allows me to basically apply all the cement the same day. Mm -hmm. And so by the next day, you have a solid structure standing. Uh, and then you just have to deal with doing the insulation layer. So this is why building in one week is completely possible with this system. So you have the option of one week 
or three months or even four months. And mm -hmm. I'm talking about one week solo by hand. You could literally inflate the air form, mix the cement and apply it by hand onto the air form with a trial. That's how inexpensively you can do it, how simply you can do it. You don't need to be like me with, you know, a multi-thousand dollar shotcrete machine spraying, right? Or you can even use a stucco sprayer for like 60 bucks and you can stucco spray it and, and completely be successful and get it right the first time. You need zero experience doing this. Just yes. a little bit of practice when you start, but that's it. You know, to get used to the materials and how, if you never mix cement, how to mix it, you know, not to put too much water in it. But it doesn't take long to figure it out. And then you're building. And then by the, by the end of a week alone, you can have almost any size structure I mentioned. The biggest one I mentioned is 24 feet wide, 64 feet long. You could literally build it solo in one week. And mm -hmm. I'm not even exaggerating. Um, and so that's what the massive difference is in, in the structure. So you're building something that will last uh, lifetimes, right? You could pass down to uh, your, your kids and your kids could pass it down to their kids because this thing will never burn down. It'll never be taken away by a hurricane, tornado. Fire will never affect it. And you make it the right thickness, it'll be completely bulletproof. So... Uh, a lot of good things uh, when it comes to building one of these air form structures, just time saving, money saving, and, and just um, super beneficial. That's wonderful. That's so good, Harry. Well, thank you so much for coming on on my show. Um, and I know I'm going to be on on your on your channel also. Other yes, than and thank you for being here. My my pleasure. Um, so everybody, Aircrete Harry, and uh, he spells Aircrete, I'll put it with a C. There is the Aircrete with a K, but that's the magnesium cement. Um, yeah, I'm going to put you up there. I'm going to put links in the, in the Telegram chat right now uh, to kind of preview our conversation. We'll probably post it uh, next Monday. Okay. Yeah. And um, yeah, they can uh, visit aircreteharry.com is where you can go to get a foam generator or aircrete thickening agents or a lot of tools we have like for air forms, calculators, and uh, also the online workshop I have. It's about 15 hours of video on how to do everything from making your rebar cage for your reinforcement and your foundation to making the templates, the, the gore-shaped templates to make your Tyvek air form. And this is all, if you're on a shoestring budget, this is the direction to go. I highly recommend because you're going to save the most money building everything yourself, including the air forms. Yes. Because for 200 bucks, you can get one roll of Tyvek and build up to a 20-foot diameter dome air form. So that's uh, really good. Yeah, yeah, that's wonderful, Harry. And uh I'll have all the links to your stuff on my on on my pod. And I'm for those of you out there that are interested in what I do, I'm at tofurhq.com. And then I have all my my businesses on Topher HQ, including this podcast.
which is the Bio Charisma Podcast. Excellent. Awesome, Harry. Well, I look forward to our next conversation, my friend. Me too. Take care. Wonderful. We'll talk soon, okay? And I'll send this to you as soon as it's done. All right. Don't hang up yet. Okay. So I just... You ought to know Oh, now you You ought to know by now Biocharismites, are you ready to get your air creed on? I mean, come on, guys, this is exciting stuff. So, unlike other parts of the world in Missouri, I have to wait for it to get warm to actually do any type of concrete or cement work. And um, I am licking my chops right now to get uh, our little dome home built. Now our dome home isn't going to be our big home. Our dome is going to be slave quarters for builder buddies. And so I figured as um as the years wear on here, I'm going to really shift into teaching and training people. Um have wonderful announcements in that regard. I have I think four events that I'll be speaking at next year as of right now, scheduled for 2024. And I'll definitely be having some workshops on our Missouri uh, acreage to 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 kind of teach the uh, Missouri peeps um, how to how to build with this new uh, type of material. So Aircrete, as you heard, it's just cellular cement. It's been around forever. I like to call it coral, man-made coral because it's very similar in chemical composition. Um, but we're going to build a dome home here. And that dome home will be on a piece of property that will eventually end up selling. But as of for right now, we want people near us. Um, we're going to have a little six acre plot of land, five or six acres. I believe it's it's closer to six acres that we're going to sell in this dome will be on the front side of that property. So um, that's going to be really cool. But before we sell it and all that, we're going to have um, builder buddies that are actually going to be inside and living there. And um, we're going to get everything ready for the big house. So got a bunch of different construction projects um, for the first time here in Missouri that are going to be kicked off. And I, I couldn't be happier to, to do it. Um, I've had, ever since I got into building, I wanted to be able to build something that was beautiful, functional, appropriate, unique, and durable for, with minimal amount of input. <laughs> and um, this will be a great field study to see if that's a possibility. And uh, I, I couldn't, I, I'm, I'm just so excited to do it. So I thank you guys all for your support. I might do a Kickstarter or a GoFundMe or something like that. I don't know. Um, 
there's a bunch of different uh, products that we talked about in this um, in this particular pod that are very expensive. <laughs> and one of them is the phoscrete, the magnesium cement. Part of my goal is to eventually have a model of a dome home that is essentially like a storm shelter slash fire shelter slash earthquake shelter. Um, on the very near future, I could see uh, a lot of different areas of the world being suddenly by climate change, you know, if you know what I mean. Um, the climate change that we experience is, you know, let's just say it, it's synthetic. And so um, there's lots of valuable property that's being essentially repurposed and reappropriated to people um, that don't own the property, but they're mainly doing this because the structures that are on those properties can't actually handle the climate change, the suddenly climate change that befalls the land. So my goal is to give people a little shelter um, and we can do it now between doing the biochar infused aircrete uh, with phoscrete and the gigacrete, all of these things in, in combination working in tandem and unison, um, this would just be a great case study where we'll be able to show like, hey, if a forest fire rips through an area, you can stay in the center of this structure and not die, you know. Um, or if there, if you live in Tornado Alley, you know, there's lots of cheap land out there, but a lot of times that land is very cheap, like Harry said in our interview, because you're on the corner of it on a steep hill or um, you're in Tornado Alley or something like that. And so what happened if we were able to build structures that could withstand all that so um and be inexpensive so i i will use this first dome that i'm building in missouri as a case study on on that and um i will probably end up doing some sort of fundraiser for it because um where a normal sack of cement costs you know 12 13 dollars these products that we're going to use uh, to actually seal the structure closer to like $100, $100 a sack. <laughs> so it's a significant um, more upfront price for some of the raw materials, but you use so much less of it and it lasts forever. <laughs> well, it lasts as long as you live. So that's a really good thing. Um, so I will announce all that when it's appropriate to announce it, but um, I couldn't be happier to have somebody like Carrie on there. Check out his his uh, his page, Aircrete Harry, on um, YouTube. It's wonderful. And I'll be posting new photos from all my developments. I've been posting them on like a Instagram and the Baritaria Times app and stuff. People seem to really like them. I just haven't updated the website just yet. Uh, but that's coming and yeah we're getting to it uh, i would like to hear from you guys i'm going to put in the chat or excuse me in the show notes the um our chat um 
the Telegram chat. We have a little over 1,600 people in there now, and it's just been this confluence of really cool minds, lots of energy, and uh, I think like there's like a few hundred people interacting per day in there. It's it's nuts, but um, in the chat, it's it's going to be really. Um, I want that to grow, and I want us to kind of uh, crowd source our intelligence with certain things and uh, make things happen that way. So I really have been enjoying that. If you enjoy the pod and you enjoy what I've been sharing, um, please uh, share this with people. Um, I believe we're still on Spotify, Podbean, all that good stuff. We're on BitChute. Um, I'm an audio only consumer. I don't watch anybody's videos. So I'm sorry if I've been lagging on that, but we will get better with our visuals. Um, and we continue to endeavor to get better at everything that we do. I have a few more in-person interviews that are coming up. Um, there's some guests that I've wanted to interview for quite a long time, but they're actually wanting to charge me for their time. I can't complain about that um, in the sense that I'm a small podcast and I charge people for my time. So I can't complain about that. But um, that was an expense that I did not see coming. And I do want to have these people on the podcast because they do uh, offer, they've they've taught me in a bunch of ways. And um, I think what they have to say is valuable. Hopefully if I did pay for their time, it would be a good interview. Um, I've had a couple interviews and I'm not going to say their name um, just because it's not appropriate that I will not post because um, it they were horrendous. <laughs> they were just what was being said and what was being shared. Uh, I totally didn't agree with and um, I don't want to put anybody I don't want to give anybody uh, bad information. So. Yeah, that's where we're at with everything. But I really appreciate your guys' support. We've been getting like really cool um, art from different people. Odon33, he made this fashies for me and um, he really enjoyed everything that was going on uh, with uh, the Martin Leadkey stuff. He also sent me some beautiful magnetite. It's probably the cleanest magnetite I've ever seen. I got a bunch of super chats in in the form of DVDs, like music DVDs. I don't I don't have a DVD player, but we'll see what goes on. I just really appreciate the sentiment. Um, I have a PO box. It's PO box four o two. What is it? Yeah, Willow Springs, Missouri six five. What is that? Six five seven nine three dash zero four two. And it's my name's Christopher Gardner. And um, yeah, if you feel like sending an analog super chat that way, that is wonderful. I'll have that in the show notes. Um, just lots of really good things going on. Um, I will be doing a thing, I think, with Max Egan about Anarchopoco. My wife, a lot of people don't know what anarchy actually means. <laughs> um, it gets a bad rap. Uh, the actual, uh, the the true definition of anarchy is something that is actually quite beautiful. 
I don't know if it's necessarily a possibility in today's age, but I like I like the philosophy uh, behind it. So uh, Max Egan and I will be doing a little a preview of Anarchopoco. We're both going to be speaking um, together there. Well, not together, but, you know, we'll be speaking at that event together in Mexico. Um, I have some really good guests coming up. Uh, Dr. Andrew Kaufman. We had just an uh, awesome mind bender around uh, everything dealing with very similar to how Tom Cowan and I discussed uh, how do we know what we know <laughs> and and how how can you know what you don't know? And so really seeing the spells that we've been under when it comes to, um, I guess you call it allopathic medicine, the, the white lab coat uh, folks um, that have been selling us lots of chemicals for a very long time. And um, yeah, have a, a really good uh, music theory podcast coming up with somebody I'll be introducing to you for the first time. So I, uh, I'm i just stoked, man. I, I learn with every pod that I do. And um, hopefully in the future, I will apply niggle to the entire corpus of interviews that I do. And um, if you don't know what niggle is, it was developed for Owen Benjamin's streams because he literally has like, you know, 80 billion hours of uh, of streams out there. So you can find anything and reference it and get to it immediately. So <clears throat> yeah, it's, it's a great utility. I wanna have that for my pod and then actually create a curriculum for little ones. So if you'd like to support that, I'm all about it. We have a buy me a coffee, you can PayPal me. Um, all that good stuff, you know, reciprocate if you appreciate. And I like saying reciprocate because I, I build reciprocal roofs. So I thought you guys would appreciate that. So um, I will do a live stream as soon as we have babysitting, um, <laughs> which should be soon. There's a couple girls in our neighborhood or not necessarily in our neighborhood, but near us that are of babysitting age. And um, once we can dial that in, then I will do some live streaming. So thank you guys for your patience. And thank you for how gracious you've been with Super Chats and all the rest of it. I really appreciate it. And I look forward to seeing you next week.